thankful for don't we amen thank you musicians you can have your seats we want you to be a part of this so you can all sit down I would say have your comfortable seats but I know better they're not all that comfy it's good to be in the house of the Lord isn't it amen amen so fortunately we do have to have young people's here in the church for the time being I know there's families that would love to have it at their home but just to avoid any troubles with uh, government and any troubles with each other. We're just going to have it at the church for now, in case anyone's wondering why it's just at the church. That's why. Simple explanation for a simple problem. Amen. It's good to be here, though. And welcome, everyone that could be here. Welcome to everybody. Good to see you. All. I would say the visitors and the fairs, but you guys aren't really visitors among us. God bless you. It's good to have you with us. And just part of, part of the family. Amen. Amen. I want to just say about the, the skits, okay? I'm not, I'm not preaching tonight, so I'm kind of just a little more relaxed, not quite as nervous. But uh, the skit that we had introduced last time, y'all remember that? Good. All right. And uh, so far, nobody's came to me and said, I don't want to do anything with it, so that's good. Um, I did bring the sign-up sheet this time. Uh, it is late. It is on the far bulletin board by the tape library, if we can even still call it a tape library, but by the library back there. Um, it's on the bulletin board there. As I mentioned, there is instructions underneath it, but if you want to sign up for multiple things to do, just simply put your name under multiple categories and just a number from one to four on number one being, this is really what you want to do. Number two, you're okay doing this. Number three, yeah, I'd kind of like to do that. Number four being, if you got nothing else for me, I'd like to do this too. So if you want to do that, that would be great. And then um, that way we can kind of get started on some more organizing and planning on that area. And unfortunately, as we did say, it is going to be a bit of a slow-moving skit at the time being because we need to wait for some of the COVID rules to change before we can really practice and get into the, uh, the interesting and fun part of it. All right, but I'm going to do a, a bit of a sword drill tonight. So y'all got your Bibles with you. It's going to be a little bit of a different sword drill because it's not really a sword drill. I'm just going to pick a few people to say a few scriptures because there was a couple things, actually it was Brother John who brought them back up to my attention, that there was a couple questions that were asked anonymously on the Slido app that we were using. It's just through Slido, right? Do I have that right? Yeah. Oh, it says right there. Look at that. But uh, 
and but some of the a couple of them weren't really answered so I um, brother Max and I will answer them by the, by the grace of God and I, we figured that maybe the best way to do it is to do it as a bit of a sword drill so that way everybody's involved in it and you can understand the answer but um, he's gonna take the hard one and he gave me the easy one so it's wonderful the question that I had that, uh, that was asked anonymously, so we don't know who asked it, and that's okay, that's good. It says in Luke chapter 8, how come when Jesus cast the devils out of legion, he told them to testify about it? And further down in the same chapter, when he raised Jairus' daughter, he told them to tell no man. It's a good question. Why in one occasion did he say, go testify, and in the very next one he said, don't tell anybody. It almost seems, seems strange and, and, and that sort of thing. And I, as of this morning, I was going to skip out on answering it because I wasn't satisfied with the answer I had until this afternoon. And then finally it came together, so I trust it will be clear to you. But if we want, I'm going to give a couple of you a scripture. Marshall, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 5. Maxwell, Brother Max, if you want to turn to John chapter 11. Sister Hannah. Get your Bible with you. Return to Mark chapter 8. I'll read that one. Okay. Seth, where are you? There you are. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 17. Julia, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 5. And Mark, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 8. I should add Mark, turn to Mark. Um... Justice, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I'll get Sister Ruth. She'll put up the scriptures for us. And then I'll get uh, Brother Brandon, if you would turn to Luke chapter 11. Now that'll make it go a little bit faster. I want to start out with a, with a quote, actually, for you, so that way we start out with something that Brother Brandon was talking about. He said, the other day when the gun went off. Now, how many knows what Brother Brandon was talking about when a gun blew up in his face? You all know? All right. That he had a gun that somebody had boarded out for something else, and it wasn't quite right. The load was wrong or something, and he pulled the trigger, and boom, it blew up and went different ways. And, and uh, he said he went back out after he was healed up to go see if he could shoot again. Because he said, I, I don't want it to scare me. He says, if I had a rack out on the road, I wouldn't quit driving a car. If I walk across the floor and stump, stub my toe, he said, I wouldn't quit walking. Right? So just because something went wrong with a gun, you don't suddenly just stop. Because he enjoyed it. That was his enjoyment. Right? So those of you that enjoy driving, just because you had one car accident, or those of you maybe you had a dirt bike. and How many had a dirt bike and wiped out? Yeah, it happens. You don't just suddenly throw it down and say, I'll never dirt bike again. No, you get back up on the dirt bike and you try it again. And sometimes you try the same jump again because you, you want to master it. That's what guys do. But uh, he said, I wouldn't quit walking for that. No, he said, God give me a clean exercise. That was Satan that blew that gun up. That wasn't God. That was Satan. He says, now I know, listen to this, this verse or this paragraph. He says, I know the spiritual application to it. There's three of us in this room right now that knows what it is, and it would raise the hair on your head, but I wouldn't tell no one. See just these three people for a confirmation. 
So in other words, he's saying, you all know the story, but I'm not going to tell you the spiritual, uh, the aspect behind it that is spiritual or why it happened, because it would raise the hair on your head. And he says, I've just told the people who, that way it could be a confirmation that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. He said, now it's all right, God forewarned about it. Now it would seem like maybe he should have told everyone, because that was in 1962 in... Um, May, and then in June he starts talking, and he's in, in June, in taking sides with Jesus, talking about the same incident, he says, some thinks I'm dead. Some thinks this, even when the gun went off the other day, some said I was trying to commit suicide. So you see, even though there was some controversy around people who didn't understand what was going on, Brother Branham knew there's some things you don't share with everybody. There's some things that happen to you that, that it's not for everybody to know. Even for someone who lived a public as life as the prophet, he said, I don't need to tell everybody what the spiritual connotation to that was because that's not for everybody, regardless of all the rumors that are flying around. Now, we could get into the life of Jesus and know, Jesus, there was a lot of rumors that flew around Jesus. Right? I'm going to get actually, I'm going to jump way down and I'm going to get uh, justice. Or no, sorry, Brother Brandon, if you stand up and read. Luke chapter 11, verse 15, all the way down to 20. Amen. Now that was one of the controversies around Jesus. The disciples, or not the disciples, the Pharisees, they were spreading rumors saying, you cast out devils by Beelzebub. And if you were to look at it from the Pharisees' eyes, how many questions did he clear up? Zero. Now from us that believe, we look at it, we say, well, he told us he cast out devils by the finger of God. So that clears up the question, right? But to them, they weren't looking at it that way. He didn't go into an explanation of this is how it happens, this is why it happens. In other words, he's saying, it's not for you. All you need to know is I do it by the finger of God. If you can't understand that, sorry. Get over it. It's to those that believe. Now let's go back up here to the problem. I'm actually not going to take Jairus and the, and the Gadarean and the legion of Gadarene from uh, Luke chapter 8. We're going to take it from Mark chapter 5. It's almost the exact same account. But Mark chapter 5, Brother Marshall, if you want to stand up and read verse 43. That's Jairus' daughter. Amen. Thank you. Now, we know the story of Jairus' daughter, right? How they went into the house, and as he was on his way, he actually was coming from the Gadarenes, and then he got on a ship, came back across. As he got back across, there was a man there that met him. It was, I think it was Jairus himself that met him and said, you got to come. My daughter is gravely ill. And as he's on his way there, they meet 
they're, they're in the middle of a crowd, sorry, and there's the Seraphonician woman, or the woman with the blood issue, and she comes and touches the hem of his garment. And he says, who touched me? Right? It's all in the same chapter here in Mark chapter 5, also in Luke chapter 8. And we find that as he keeps coming down, now all of a sudden that was done for a purpose. He doesn't say really much to the, to the woman whose, I think it was a daughter had the blood issue. Sorry, I'm really paraphrasing now. Is that right? Blood issue, yes. And, uh, and she brought, and he didn't say much to her other than go thy way. The plague is healed of you. You, you don't have that problem anymore. That's all he said. He didn't say, go tell people. He didn't say, don't go tell people. He just said, go your way. That was for Jairus' sake. Because the very next person to come along down the road said, don't bother the master. Your daughter is dead. Right? So now they're coming down. Who's with him? Just a few people. It's just, just him and Jairus, his disciples, whoever came with Jairus. They'd been through a multitude. They'd been through a crowd. There was people pressing him. But he's on his way to a certain place. He's on his way to a certain purpose. Now you, I'm just going to say it this way. When you're driving from one place to another, there will be places you run into a lot of traffic. And there's going to be places where it's pretty clear driving. It wasn't any different in Jesus' day. Okay? The Bible records quite often when he was in one place, a lot of people would start to flock. But as he walked and went, people would start to disperse and go their way. And then when they found out he was preaching in a place, they would flock to that place. That's how he came to 5,000 up on the mountain. They learned that he was up there teaching, and they began to flock to that place. It wasn't that there was a horde of Israelites walking around the, Gal the Sea of Galilee, wandering into Capernaum and all around, wondering what's going on. No, no, it wasn't a huge flash mob walking around. They came to where Jesus was at. But as he was walking, now it's just him, Jairus, his disciples, those he's gotten out of the traffic jam, so to speak, and he's gotten down to Jairus' house, and he says, and then they begin to say, you know, then and mock him because he said, what does he say? She's not sleeping, or she's not dead, she's only sleeping. So they begin to mock him, saying, what's going on? So what does he do? He casts out the unbelievers. Remember where we started. It's not for the unbelievers. It's only for the believers. So he puts all the unbelievers, ones that are mocking them out, and he takes them into a private room now with uh, Peter, James, and John, Jairus, Jairus' wife, and the daughter. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. That's all that knew. The only word that ever came that said she was dead was the few people that were grieving in the house and the one person that came and said, she's dead, don't bother the master. Just a few people. And so Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Don't spread this abroad. This isn't something that was public knowledge to everybody that she was dead. You understand? But to you, it's knowledge. To you, you know she was dead. You know she was raised up from the dead. But they don't know she was dead. How many ever heard a testimony that's just too good to be true? I have. You hear a testimony that you go, I believe it, but... That's crazy. <laughs> Praise the Lord that that happened, but man, that's, that's an incredible testimony. That, that's what Jesus is talking about. You're saying, you know, don't go over shouting it off the rooftop here to say, hey, look what happened. But now, let's jump down. Let's go to a different person raised from the dead. Brother Maxwell, if you want to stand up in, in John chapter 11, read verse 34 to 39. 34 to 39. Yeah, three, four, three, nine.
And read verse 43 and 47. Verse 47. Then God the chief priest and the Pharisees took counsel and said, Oh, believe that this man doeth many miracles. Thank you. So now we all recognize this story. This is Lazarus. This is a different story now. This isn't someone that was just in the bed and he said, She's not dead, but she only sleeps. This is someone that had been dead four days. They had a funeral. They put him in the ground. They sealed it up. There was mourning, there was weeping, there was people around to see him cry and see how he must have loved him. Surely this man that had healed the eyes of the blind and all kinds of things that he'd done, surely he could have healed him if he'd just come a few days earlier. There was a crowd gathered. So now when he said, Lazarus, come forth, he doesn't go say, don't, don't, don't tell anybody. Everyone was there. Everyone was new. There was mouth of two or three witnesses, there was... 100 witnesses, 50, 100, I don't know how many were there. That there, nobody could dispute this, even to the fact that here was Lazarus now, who had gone on for four days, taking a journey. And we know if we go over into the next chapter, into the John chapter 12, it starts talking about Lazarus was testifying. Nowhere does it record that Jairus' daughter was testifying, dead but for a few moments. And now you got a man that's dead four days. He's got something to testify about. He's seen some things. Well, now he can come back and say, I know what's over there. I know what's going on. What did they do? They, they sought. We read the last verse of verse 47 was they gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we for this man do with many miracles? In other words, they were scared because they knew this was irrefutable. They could not put this down and say, uh, that happened in the private of a room, and I don't know if it's really true. This happened before a lot of people. There was no refusing it. So he didn't have to say, don't go tell anyone. Sister Hannah, Mark chapter 8. Verse 26, sorry. Thank you for clarifying. Thank you. Now here's, a, here's another man. This one's blind, not dead, blind. He came to Bethsaida. He was a blind man. But what does it say in verse 23? Actually, put 23 up on the screen. I should have got you to read that too, sorry. But it said, and he led him out of the town. In other words, he led him away from everybody. And then he spit on the ground. And he made clay and he put it in his hands. He put it in his eyes put his hands over his eyes and took them off. And the man says, I see man as trees walking. In other words, he could not comprehend what he was seeing. They say, a man that's, that's born that way, been blind that long, they, they, technologically now, science has proven that they, they can't understand what their vision is coming in. Their, their brain doesn't know how to comprehend it. So what does he do? He puts his hand back over his eyes and takes it back off. And now he sees clearly the scripture records. Then Jesus tells him, don't go tell anyone. Why? It's just him and him. He took him out of the town. He took him away from everybody. There's no one there to, there to see it but him. Perhaps a couple of his disciples, but that's about it. Now, 
There's another one down in Mark chapter 7. I said I would read that one. Okay. Mark chapter 7, verse 32. It's already taking up too much time. I apologize, Brother John. I'll try and stop soon. Mark chapter 7, verse 32 says it this way. It says, and they, and they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they besought him and put his hand upon him, and he took him aside from the multitude. There's those key words again. He took him aside, him and the man. And what did he do? He said he put his fingers in his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. In other words, he spit in his mouth. And he... Looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, however you say that, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plain, and he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished saying, He hath done all things, he has done all things well. He maketh both to speak and to hear. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. There we go. Now what's happening? He tells a man, don't do it. Don't go tell everyone. It's just me and you. And the guy goes anyways and goes into telling everyone and telling everyone. His own testimony was good because he couldn't speak and he couldn't hear. Now he can hear and now he can speak. There's good evidence and good proof because everyone knew this is a man that couldn't, couldn't hear and couldn't speak and now he can. That's pretty incredible, right? But what happened? They were astonished. It didn't give them any greater understanding of the word, just that they were astonished. They were amazed. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. How does that feed the soul? Now, Seth, you have Matthew chapter 17, verse 9. This is the account, if you stand up, I'll, I'll speak for a bit, but this is the account of Mount Transfiguration. Now, in verse 9. Thank you. Now, here's another time. Now he's charging his disciples, right? We know the vision. We know what happened. He was up there. He was translated. There was Elijah. There was Moses. And he was there. And, and all these great things happened. But he said, don't tell anybody this. Until. Until you've received. The Son of Man is, is glorified again. The Son of Man is risen from the dead. He's risen in what? A glorified body. In other words, now there's proof that what you're saying is the truth. That this isn't a conglomerate. Just the three of us saying, let's make something up about him. What would that have done? Started rumors. Right? The same way he did with Brother Bannum. When he said a gun blew up in his face and people started going, he tried to commit suicide. It just started rumors. Right? So Jesus said, don't tell anybody this. This is for a reason. There'll be a time that you can, you can share this, but not yet. Now let's move quickly. The maniac of gathering Julia, you have Mark chapter 5 open, verse 19. Amen. Now we know the story of the legion, right? 
how he was there and he was torn with a thousand demons and everybody knew it. He was hiding in a cave. He was out there. He was scary. He came at Jesus. He was, people were terrified of him. He'd done some terrible damage. Everyone knew who this guy was. Everyone knew, avoid that cave, go clear of that guy, watch out for him. He's, he's possessed with a devil. He breaks chains. He does all these things. Watch out for that maniac. But now that Jesus done this, and we know that the demons came, so let us go in the swine. So now there's even more of an evidence, right? Now it's not just a man here. Now all of a sudden there's, I believe the scripture says about 2,000 swine. What a stink. 2,000 dead swine drowned in the, in the Sea of Galilee. As they jumped off the cliff down into the sea, now all of a sudden these, these pig farmers, they come out after hearing the testimony of the man saying, this is what happened. They come back out to Jesus. They say, get out of here. You wrecked our money. You wrecked our economy. There was such a testimony there that was undeniable that not only was the miracle witnessed by two or three, but the sickness was witnessed by two or three. That nobody could dispute it, that it wasn't just one or two people that had come and said, oh, there's somebody here, and oh, it's some." No, this was a, a multitude had seen him sick, and a multitude had seen him healed, and there was a lot of people that were angry because it wrecked their, their pig farm. Let's go to one more. Mark, you have Matthew chapter 8, verse 4. Amen. Now, this was another one that was, I'll just say to use a, a paradox for you, publicly private. This man was a leper. Everyone knew that lepers, you stay away from them, right? The actual distance, I believe, if I researched it, was about six feet. You had to stay six feet away from a leper, if that sounds familiar to you or not. But that was what they said. Don't go, don't come clear, don't, don't come close. You got to stay back from me. I'm a leper. But here he come to Jesus, and he began to worship Jesus, and Jesus began to tell him, would you be made whole? And he says, you know, just that this would be healed. And so Jesus heals him. And he doesn't say, now just go tell everybody. He says, there's a certain order. Before you go tell everybody, you need to go according to the Levitical priesthood because he had not yet died yet. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, had not yet died for our sins to do away with the old uh, sacrifices. It hadn't quite happened. He was on earth. He was ready. It was just two years away or two and a half years or three years away. But that wasn't good enough. He said, you still got to go. Go about the Levitical law and go back to the priest. Show them you got to sacrifice the doves, the lamb, and all these things. The proper sacrifices for a cleansed leper. Now, this should have made the priests believe. Because they hadn't seen a leper be healed since the days of Elisha. And now all of a sudden he says, here's a leper that's healed. Go back to him. Go back to the priest. Go show yourself to the church leaders first. Go about the right way. And once that's happened, as a testimony to who? To the priest. This wasn't to everybody. This was to the ministry. Go tell them. Amen. The Branham says in the message Messiah, he said, he said, I've, I've, I've seen happen since I left you all. He said, just around maybe 20, 30 calls a day at different places. 
here at home, he says, I would make, it would make some mighty fine books. It sure would. He's talking about the phone calls and the miracles that would happen, praying for people and all these things. He said, it would make a lot of volumes of books, all the things that have happened. He says, it sure would, but we don't say nothing about it just now. And then to the church, he says, we don't broadcast it out. Jesus said, tell no one. This is for the church. It's for the believers. Amen. Amen. That's who this is for. And that's even what he's saying. Even when he was there with these people and he healed some, a couple of the blind men and the one that was deaf and mute, he brought them away from the multitude, there was a very high chance and more probable that his disciples were there. The church. They seen it. That's who it was for. Are you with me? That's why we have, tell testimonies here. That's why we share things here. And people testify and there's prayer requests. Why? Because that's for those of you that believe. It's for the church. If some of those testimonies were told out on the street corner, just random passerbyers, they'd look at you and say, you're a liar. They didn't see you sick. They didn't know what you went through. They don't believe in the supernatural power of God the way you do. It's for the believer. Justice, you had a scripture in Luke chapter 7, verse 22. Amen. Now you leave that up there. This is this is to John. John's part of this church. John's a believer. In other words, Jesus says, don't discriminate to him. Don't hide anything from him. They tell him about the blind that see. Even the ones that I said, don't tell anybody. Go tell them. Even the lepers that were cleansed that I said, go show the priest. Go tell John. It's for the church. The deaf that hear, the dead that are raised, Jairus' daughter, go tell him. Go tell him what's going on. The dead that are raised the poor, the, to the poor, the gospel's preached. What's he saying? He's saying to the believer, this is for them. Right. It's not for the unbeliever. He didn't say, go tell all these things to the priest. Go tell all these things to the Gadarenes. Go tell all these things to these people over here and the Phoenicians and these ones. No, he chose out certain people that he knew would believe, but rather to John, he said, go tell them everything. He'll just be encouraged by it. He's a believer. Amen. Almost done. If Brother Philip, why don't you come up to the piano? I know you're, you're the pianist, so we'll have you up here. In the message of position of a believer in Christ, Brother Branham says, and now this epistle to the letter of the Ephesians. Remember, he's preaching a message called the position of a believer in Christ. And he says this, he says, it's not to the outside world. This is believers. That's why I thought this afternoon, first I'd test to see if there was a group of unbelievers and sinners, then I couldn't speak this here. But now seeing that this is for the believers, the believers are present. I thought it would be good if we let the believers see where he is. Now try hard, Christians, to understand that this day at the day has been placed, the believer is positionally placed. Amen. Now you understand what I'm saying. There are miracles. There are miracles. There's the miracle of Gary Walker. 
There's the miracle of Ron Spencer. There's, there's other miracles that have gone on. I'm thinking of Blikadre Diggs. They're posted. They're well-known on YouTube. People that are not believers have watched them and been astonished and been amazed and looked at those miracles and looked at those testimonies going, that is incredible. As someone, Gary Walker, dead three times, four times. I can't remember, three times or four times. Three times. Thank you, Sister Julia. Dead three times and all of these things. And he's still alive and still preaching the gospel and still going on. It's amazing to them. It's an astonishment to them because there's so much evidence and proof there. But to some of the miracles, he says, this is just for the believer. This is just for those that believe. It ain't for everybody else. Amen. I trust that's clear. Amen. The only other scripture I had was in Matthew chapter 18, which I quoted several, several times, which was, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. That applies to the believer. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. I invite Brother John to come as we sing this song. Listen to our heart. How do, how do you explain? How do you describe a love that flows from east to west? Amen. Runs as deep as. The mark, come here. Amen. Lord, you know all our fears And words cannot express But we long for you to hear So listen to our Spirits sing a song of praise that flows for those you have redeemed, and we will use the words we know to tell you what. God, you are when words are not enough to tell you of our love. Listen Amen. To Do we have to raise that up or lower that down. That's how much of a musician I am. <laughs> Amen. That's From these lips of mine Oh, and if I had a thousand years I could still run out of time You listen to my Thank you for the light.
church tonight. How many is happy to be in church tonight? Amen. It's good to see every one of you. Um, I know this is, maybe this was done before I wasn't here on the first Friday, but I think there's, like Jeremy, I think you're starting this year. Welcome. Um, and there's a couple others that are starting as well that I don't see here tonight, but we'll, if they've been welcomed, or we'll welcome them at some point. And welcome to the fairs. I think one of you left a water bottle in my car you can pick up later from the last time you were in my car. Anyway. Um, it's good to be in church tonight. I, I'm so grateful for, uh, I, I've been in Young Peoples for a long time, and I'm so grateful for the vision and focus that Brother Harold, Brother Ed, and Brother Max, Brother Andrew all have in, in serving the young people. And, and I, I've said it many times, maybe in other places, maybe not from here, but I'm so proud to serve alongside this group. I've been around the world, and this is an incredible group of young people here. You love God. There's a heart for the word, and there's something special here. And so it's, it's good to be here. Um, there will always be challenges and always trials, and, and even Brother Andrew was preaching and, and speaking, and I'll, I'll say there's good news. We've got a ratio that we've set in young peoples for a long time that's been unknown, and I don't want to look left under the hood too much, but there's always a three-to-one ratio for speaking to sword drill, so we're good to go tonight. We're going to just go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We won't go long, um, but there will always be challenges and trials in any group or anything, but we'll always just look up to him. And we'll always, I, I've seen it, I want to talk a little bit about maybe the hard times in life, but also God's heart towards us tonight. And, and I wonder if we could just bow our heads while we're still standing and maybe just want to look to him tonight as we'd approach him in prayer. Lord God, you know how I tremble every time I'm asked to do this, Lord. And I know that I can't do anything of my own, but it's only you. And Lord, we just want to thank you for the service and the anointing that's come so far. And the presence of God that's come in this place, the songs that were sung, the music that was played, and even the question that was answered so well, Lord God, that's so clear now as to why we would tell and not tell, Lord, and, and even just wisdom for us to know that not everything needs to be shared all the time. 
Lord, I just pray now that you could come to this part of the service, Lord, and you could work on our hearts and open our minds and open our spirits to what you'd have to speak. Lord, I just get myself out of the way, and I just pray that you'd bless the speaker and the hearer and that there'd be a liberty for the word to go forth. We just thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if we could all turn in our Bibles to Proverbs 4.23. And then Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14, if you want to know what the next one is for anyone that jumps ahead like I do and always tries to get two in one hand. Proverbs 4.23, I think this is a pretty commonly read scripture, or maybe in young people's, or I remember hearing it when I was in young people's at one point. It says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The heart is so important, our heart. There's a, I think it was a sermon that I heard years ago called Guard Your Heart. And Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14, and this has been read in the last little bit, but for thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. So they had gone somewhere else. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then you shall call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you. This is a promise. I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places, and this is amazing to me. It says, whither I have driven you. Did you know that God can send you to a place that's not fun for a while for a purpose? God can let you go to a place that's not good, seemingly, and doesn't feel good, all for a purpose. And I'll say, I'll just lay it out right from the beginning, what I'm going to say all the way through, to show you your heart. And so that you surrender it all to him, and he brings it back to you. And that's essentially all I'm going to say today. But we'll just spend a little bit of time going into it. I wonder if you can, you can take your seats, God bless you, and if you could turn one more scripture, actually we don't even have to turn, if we just put it on the screen, Matthew twenty two thirty seven. I want you to read it together with me if you can. It said, Jesus said unto them, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, okay, we're gonna start this one more time all the way from the beginning. Maybe I'm rushing too fast already. I'm nervous, can you tell? Jesus said unto them, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Awesome. You know, the the heart is an interesting place, would you say? The heart is an interesting place. It's the seat of your affections. It's the seat of your emotions. It's the seat of all of your, your feelings. We have, you know, body and soul and spirit, and there's a spirit realm, and there's a part of it that's the heart realm. That's, there's a, there's a lot of emotion attached to it. And it's something that's hard. You, you talk about someone that's hard-hearted or soft-hearted. You could talk about someone that's got bitterness in their heart. There's a scripture that talks about that. I think the heart knows its own bitterness. Or um, another scripture talks about the plagues of their heart. There was, in the heart realm, there can be a lot of things that happen. And what's interesting is it's not very physical. You might be able to tell in someone's eyes that something's wrong, but you might not be able to tell in someone's eyes that something's wrong. You might not ever know from the outside what's going on in someone's heart. It's, and yet it's such a critical and important place. It, um, if, we, if we look at um, the parable of the sower, which is interesting, the, 
I'm just finding it here. In Matthew 4, I won't ask you to turn to it, but um, Jesus said it, told a parable to a group, and he told about four different ground conditions. There was, I think, the wayside, the thorny ground, the stony ground, and then there was good soil. And then later he goes and describes it and explains it to his disciples what I was talking about. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? The sower soweth the word. And these that are by the wayside, one of the conditions, where the word is sown, but when they have, these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh the word that was sown where? In their hearts. So within their heart was sown a seed, was sown the word. And you can follow that scripture through. If we go to um, the last verse, verse 20, um, you would see the final result, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So even you, you would say this, that the heart is the soil, and the condition of the soil will determine, A, whether or not the seed grows at all, and B, how much seed grows and how fruitful it was. So there's something to be said about someone that's got a hard heart or a stony heart, and yet God could maybe work on that. But there's also even someone to be said that's got a good heart and good soil. And I believe we all have that here tonight. But even then, our actions will then define how much fruit is lived out. So there's something so important about having a soft heart. Something that God could work with. Something that God could plant something in and then grow. And without that, God can't work with you. God can't do anything. There's something that the seed just doesn't grow. He's laid it out in nature. He's laid it out in all of the types. And there's something so important about that. So I want to look at a couple of different things. I want to look at the trials that we can go through, that sometimes the hard things, the trials, the ups and the downs, that, that, and how God will use them to show, show where we are. Um, and I want to look at also God's heart, because he's got a heart too. And he's got a big heart. And he's got a, a special heart. He's got something that is unexplainable. I want to show his heart towards us. And, and, and then I want to say that we need to just fully surrender to him. Amen. If there's anything that we need to do is fully give all of our heart to him. There's times that God will bring us to a place to show us what we're made out of. And there's also times in a place, that I'll make a provocative statement and I'll read a quote, that God could even let you fall. You believe that? I'll read you. If you think about Moses, was a young man. He was at the top of his class, so to speak. He was raised in Pharaoh's palace. He was second in command. He was a smart kid, I'm sure. I'm sure they didn't let, you know, just anyone be second in command, so to speak. But he rose up to the top of his classes. He was raised to be the next Pharaoh. He grew up to be a man with military connections, political connections. And I'll say this, he knew how to conquer. He knew how to conquer. Of course he knew how to conquer. He was second in command in the greatest kingdom in the world. He knew exactly how other nations were conquered. He knew how this happened and how that happened and the backdoor deals and the military strategy. And he knew intellectually exactly how you would take over another nation. And then he also started to realize that God had called him to take over and deliver his people. And so he approached it the best way he knew how. And all he got was one dead Egyptian. Because God doesn't work that way. But God had to show him that. And you imagine, I'll just, I mean, you imagine seeing an incident where one Egyptian kills or works, is beating up one of your guys and you kill the Egyptian and then 
everything goes horribly wrong. If you've ever seen the Ten Commandments, it's a great depiction of it. Everything goes horribly wrong, and he's sent out as a complete outcast of his own people to the backside of the desert for 40 years, from the highest of the world to some guy on the backside of the desert. I'm sure if they say if you spend 40 years on the backside of the desert, you're just going to go crazy. He went from the top to the bottom. But what did Brother Branham say about that? Brother Branham said, now, no, and when he brought deliverance to the people down in e- Egypt, he sent a simple human being, born of a simple family in a bunch of slaves. Oh my, what a God he is, unfolding himself in simplicity. Now notice, God had trained him in worldly mis- wisdom, and then he says this, so that he could fall, and show that it isn't wisdom that will ever be delivered by If you're looking for deliverance tonight, if you're looking for the Holy Ghost tonight, it's not going to come from your knowledge of the word even. That'll help. You'll understand the approach maybe. If you're looking for deliverance, if you're looking for a heart change, it doesn't come from your own wisdom or what just the teaching and just how it all is fitting together, but it comes from an open heart that's surrendered to him. It's by faith that we're delivered, Brother Branham says. He let him go in and get such an education until he could teach the Egyptians wisdom. He was so smart. God was with that simple family who could perhaps not write their name, and Moses was took into the highest of schooling with such a great education until he could teach wisdom to the teachers. He could teach the genius, and God let him get that way so he could display himself in humility to show that wisdom has nothing to do with it, and Moses failed miserably with his genius. In our life and in our approach, we can get so, growing up in the message, we know it all many times. But there's something to be said about just letting go and letting God. I love what Brother Max has preached. I think it was your first sermon here in the service. Let go and let God, and it stuck with me. Taking God at his word and just believing that he's in control no matter how we think and how we imagine it. God bringing deliverance had had to train him in wisdom to let him fall, to show that you cannot lean on the arm of your own understanding. What did God show him? He couldn't conquer with his own mental ability or his own thought or physical strength. He literally let him fall. So I'm I'm even saying that just to set a principle that God will bring you to a spot in life and all of every single experience, all things work together for good. The principle that I'm trying to establish is this. No matter what you're going through, good, bad, or really, really ugly, God's got a plan in it, and he could be showing you something. And what we need to do is not look at and say, I heard something, uh, I read something today about a a grandmother that had went through, I think, world wars and different things, and her, her quote that came out of this was, I don't want, you can either be a victim or a survivor. Let's never be victims, where everything is everyone else's fault. And let's not just be a survivor, because I didn't even fully like that, but let's thrive in Jesus. He's the one that gives us strength to overcome and not blame anyone else, but look to say, God, what are you trying to show me? And also, where's my heart at? The one thing I want to say is I don't want to look at anyone else other than everyone look at themselves tonight. And I want to look at myself. This, I'll I'll say, a lot of the times that I've come up to talk up here is something that God just brought me through over a couple of months myself. And I've had to look at myself Recently, I've had to go through. I'll read a scripture on Hezekiah in a second. Let's go right to it. I'll just, I'm just going to jump around. Hezekiah, how many's heard the story of Hezekiah before? And I think we all know about the last three quarters of it really, really well, where he was sick and turned to the wall and God saved him. And that's about 
maybe all we focus on a lot of the time, but there was a lot to Hezekiah. And it's an interesting story all the way through. Hezekiah was a 25-year-old king. He started to reign at 25, and I think he reigned for 29 years after that. And I'll just read some of the scriptures, um, but listen. In 2 Chronicles 29, 2-3, it's describing Hezekiah, and he did all that was right in the sight of the Lord. His dad before him was an evil man, but he did all that was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. His original father way before, the good father. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he did a lot of things. He began to repair, work on the temple. He began to restore order to the priesthood and bring sanctity there. And he began to do different things that were so good. It was amazing the wisdom and how he started to rebuild Israel. So he was a good guy. And later on in, in, in 2 Chronicles 31, 20, it says that, and thus did, describing all the things he had done, and thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judea, Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the God, before the Lord his God. And in every work he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. He was a good king. He was a very good king. There was one little part that I truthfully don't fully understand, but some king was trying to get a tribute of him, and he sold, I think, some of the gold from the temple, and I don't think that was a good idea. Um, I think he sent some of the gold to the temple. There was a couple little spots that weren't quite right, I would say, but he was a good king, and he did it with all his heart. So then comes the story of sickness. Isaiah comes in, in 2 Kings 20, verse 1 to 6, in those days Hezekiah was sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set the house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, and a lesson to all of us that God listens to prayer, Amen. saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, how, now how have I walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart? Imagine saying that to God. I've walked before you with a perfect heart. That's a testimony. That's, that's a confident man to be able to say that. And have done that which, was good, which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out of the middle of the court, into the middle of the court, he had barely left, that the word of the Lord came to him saying, turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord. And then I will add 15 years. But there's another story after that I think we know as well. How many's heard that next the Babylonians came and, or the Babylonians came and talked to him and asked him a question? And essentially what happened next was the Babylonians sent him a gift, I think, and said, oh, you got well, that's great. Um, can we come and, 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 and see this in... There you go, you're, you're way ahead, and I'm not even going to attempt to say that name. I think I had it in the back, but um, someone, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick. That's a nice gesture. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them, and they came by and visited, and this is what they did. And I'll just diagnose exactly what happened. Hezekiah didn't really, had gotten to a place where he maybe felt a little invincible, God had just answered his prayer. The prophet literally had to turn around and say something different that he had said originally. And now Hezekiah began to get lifted up, and it felt like maybe nothing could touch him. He was supposed to use those 15 years, if you look at the message, to make his house in order, to get ready to die. 
And Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the houses of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the houses of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed him not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto the king Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men and from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even, country, even from Babylon. And he said, What? Have they seen in thy house? This is, I mean, what a fit to, we're not supposed to share everything. This, I mean, you look at the fit just with what was said before in the sword drill. We're not supposed to share everything. There's things that are reserved to the believer. There's things that are reserved. And here he was opening himself up to the whole world, to Babylon, the seat of Satan. (laughs) What, and he said, what have they seen in thy thy house? What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, all the things that are in mine house have they seen. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. He got puffed up and said, hey guys, you're from Babylon. That's a pretty neat place. Look what I've got. Let me show you what God's done for me. And yet, like Brother Andrew was even speaking on Wednesday, making an image maybe of himself, so to speak raising himself up, letting himself be lifted up. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah, unto the Lord, something that again amazes me. Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? Meaning, if it happens to my children but it doesn't happen to me, well, that's good for me. Now, don't get me wrong. This was a good king. He was still a good king. He was still able to say, God, I've done all. And God answered his prayer. But there was a spot in his heart that was wrong. There was something still left over that just wasn't quite surrendered. Now, in 2 Chronicles is the other account, and they quickly diagnose the situation in an interesting way. 2 Chronicles 32, 24. And this is just a short account of this story, but this writer really diagnoses what happened. In those days, Hezekiah was sick unto death and prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him, and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not according to the benefit that was done unto him. He didn't give back to God what God had given to him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah did humble himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come on his days. And the final verse, and this is the, this verse, um, verse 31, is the verse that set this whole thought in motion. Howbeit, and this is just describing the problem, howbeit in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, it says this, God left him to try him, that he might know what was done in his heart. That was all that was in his heart. So God had spent a whole time building a man and letting him be king and brought him to a place now where you have 15 years, what are you going to do? And when the Babylonians came, and we'll all reach these situations in our life, whether it be school or work or anything, well, God will leave you. Bring, maybe bring you to a hard moment or maybe a noth- seemingly nothing moment, an innocent moment. And God will just leave and see, how are you going to react? And I'll say, he'll show you what's in your heart in that moment. I'll say that I've been in that spot not long ago, and I didn't like what was in my heart. And I'm sure we can all say that at times. Where God let something fall apart. 
And then I looked and I was like, wow, I don't actually like that. But that's good because now God can rebuild and God can do a work and God can restore. Howbeit in the business of the ambassadors of the prince of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder of all that was done in the land, God left him to try him. Let's take another, let's take another switch. Um, and I'm just debating where, where I go next. And I'm going to go right to Jesus. We're going to jump over one story. We know that Samson gave his strength to God and his heart to Delilah. Okay, we'll move on for the next one. Um, Jesus Christ. I want to look at God's heart to you. Because I want to say this. One thing that happens is we'll go through struggles and trials and ups and really, really low downs. And it's all for a purpose and God is trying to teach us something. But we need to know this. That God doesn't stand like this, waiting for us to figure it out. I'm going to put them through a trial, and then, man, they still haven't figured this out. we got to do it again, which does happen. We'll have to do it again and again until we get it right. But he's not waiting and, like, really frustrated with us. That's not at all the heart of God. That's not at all the heart of God, but that's how I think the heart of God is sometimes. That's how we all think the heart of God can be sometimes, where we think, man, I've messed it up again, and and he must be so frustrated with where I'm at. That's not the heart of God. Let me show you a picture of the heart of God. Imagine Jesus being led to die for the whole world's sins. The whole world had messed up, and they would mess up for another 2,000 years. And he had taken all the weight of the world on his shoulders. All of the religious leaders had turned on him. There came a dividing time where the people that were for or against Jesus became really, really clear in his crucifixion because some of his friends, some of the people he might have grown up with, some of his religious acquaintances turned against him and said, crucify him. A week before he was crucified, people were praising him in the streets as he rode a donkey into Jerusalem. And now a dividing line had come, and he knew who was for him and who was against him, and there was not a lot left. And yet, a picture of the heart of God was he kept going. He said, not my will, but thine be done. At the bottom of his life, Brother Bradham would say, he died more deaths in Gethsemane as he prayed. Not my will, but thine. He died more deaths there than he did on the cross because he had to submit his will to the Father's will. And that's our struggle too. As we come to difficult times, difficult situations where God even will maybe present something or or, or give a, a leadership, you go this way. And you say, I don't want to go that way. But not my will, but thine be done. And we have to die again and die again. But I ask you a question, and don't answer it if you know it. Do you know how Jesus died? I'll read a quote. Brother Branham said in the message, living, dying, buried, rising, coming. What was the cause of Jesus' death is the question. When the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, come to take the place of guilty sinners and was mashed and bruised and scoffed and made fun of and died a death that no creature could die except God himself and his bloody locks hanging from his shoulders, dripping to the ground, expressed what a horrible thing sin is. When he had to die to redeem man from a life of sin, nothing could die like that. Nothing could stand that death. It said that when they pierced his side that there came forth blood and water. It's been some time ago, I was speaking to someone about this. It was a scientist that said there's only way that that could have happened. There's only one way that that could have happened. That there would be blood and water come forth when the Roman came and pierced him. And it was not because of the Roman spear that he died. 
And neither was it the loss of blood that he died because there was still blood in his body. What he died of was not the Roman spear or the nails that drove in his hands or the thorny, thorny crown they placed on his head. It says, but he died of grief because he came unto his own and his own received him not. Brother Branham said, he died of a broken heart. That's the heart of God to you. It's not the other way around. He died of a broken heart for us. He died of such a, he was so torn apart looking at people reject him and turn him down with their hard hearts and their stony hearts. What's our heart to him then? Let's surrender to him then. But know that he's not against you, he's for you. He literally died for you by breaking his own heart. You want to talk about a broken heart. You think of, it, it, Brother Branham says that God died. That two line, that two, fr- that, I can't talk, those two words stuck out to me. God died. How could God die? But he died. He died of a broken heart. When he knowed the very creatures of time that he would come, he would die to redeem, had spit in his face, and he was rejected of man. David, 800 years before it happened, cried with the very voice that he cried at Calvary, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here was the moment, just like Hezekiah, where God had left him and was showing what was in Jesus Christ's heart. And you know what he said? Father, forgive them. You want to talk about injustice. You want to talk about a completely wrong situation. Many people will say, oh, this happened in church or this happened at work and it was completely unfair and completely unjust. And again, I'm saying, I don't want to point at anyone else other than our own hearts now. You know what Jesus was in the most unjust situation there ever was? False accusers in a religious setting, in a messed up court situation, hung him to the most cruel death, completely unjust. And he said, Father, forgive them. And he died of a broken heart for us, for you and me. Man will never know what it was, Brother Branham says. That's the reason there could be no one else that would die like that. I don't care how much you could be tormented. You can't die like that. The most injustice was ever done was to a man named Jesus Christ. And I'll ask, what's the condition of your heart? What has God brought you through that would show you this is where I'm at or this is where I'm not at or this is where I'm at? There was a story that I heard about a man that was a farmer and he had 100 acres of land for sale. It was a farmland, he had 100 acres for sale. And he, he put it up for sale and he had a bidder come. And the second farmer came and said, I want to I buy your farm. It's 100 acres. And he says, you know what? I'm going to give you the best price. I like you. I'm going to give you the best price you've ever seen. But there's one condition. There's this one acre right in the middle of the land that I want to keep. Because it's been passed down from my great-grandpa to my grandpa to my, my dad to me. And I just love that one little acre of land. But otherwise, I'm going to sell you the whole thing. It's just right in the middle. But I'm going to sell you the whole thing for the steal of a deal. And he told him the price, his eyes bugged out, and he said, we're signing that right now. They signed it, he bought it, he went on, and the second farmer, the new owner of the 99 out of 100 acres of land, began his farm work. He wanted to start a farm. But it didn't take long. It took weeks for him to start to realize there was a huge problem. Because every time that he would start to get out his equipment and start to farm, that other first farmer would go visit his land right in the middle. And he would drive through, straight across all his land. Mud, dirt, ruts, everything, tearing it up to get to one acre of land that that first farmer didn't sell to him. 
And how many times as Christians do we do that? We leave one little acre left in our heart that isn't let go, that isn't surrendered. And Satan will destroy all of the other crops that God's got planting, all of the other things, because you didn't surrender that one little spot, because I didn't surrender that one little spot in my heart, and Satan will begin to destroy your crops because he's got to get to that one piece of land that he still owns. He still has it. We want to sell every bit of our heart to Jesus Christ. As the title, it was going to be maybe strange to announce it sooner. The final acre of your heart. We want to sell every piece to God. Because if there's one little piece left, if there's one little part left that Satan can hold over you and remind you of time and time again, how can you have full victory? How can you walk in full freedom? Worship only comes from the place from when you're really free. Worship comes from a place of freedom when you know that your sins are paid for. When you know that there's nothing left. And you can look to God and say, you're my God. You're my king. You're my everything. You're my all. And the good news is that's available. Complete freedom is available. Complete salvation. Complete deliverance. Every acre of your heart is available. He's a friend in our valley. When we go through our ups and our downs, he's a friend. Did you know that, I said it before, God doesn't look down on us and say that, oh, I can't believe that they did it again. I can't believe there's that one acre still. He's just looking for the opportunity to get that final piece. He's looking for that moment where you'll surrender and say, oh God, I give it all to you. That there's nothing left and that it's all in your hands. God is a friend to us. There's no friendship drama with God. On in, on again, off again. I don't really know what they think of me. There's nothing like that with God. He's constant. We're the problem. He's steady. We're, faith, we're unfaithful. He's faithful. But when we stay faithful to him and when we recognize his faithfulness, there's, a, there's an amazing scripture that I want to read. In, I don't know if I gave it to you. Zephaniah, of all places that we don't re- read often, but th- this picture is amazing to me. You think of heaven, you think of however you want to think of it. Every time you hear Zion, think of the bride, as we know that in Scripture. So this is for us. It says, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And this is trying to show God's heart to us. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He has cast out thine enemy, the King of Israel. Even the Lord is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt see evil Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thy hands be slack. Hold the verse right there. Back it up one. And this is the, no, it's okay. And this is the description of God to us. We can worship God. We sing to God. We praise to God. And I, I, I think of heaven when I think of this next verse. And it blows my mind. You think of a new body and a new spirit with nothing to distract and getting to know God for 100 million years, not the 70 that were allotted. When we really get to know God. And then imagine this next verse happening. But this is God's reaction to you. The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee, is, that is in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. It says, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love and he will joy over thee with singing. Amen. How amazing is that? That he would come and sing to us. That he'd be so excited to see us that he'd run up to us. And that he would say, look, that's Seth. I want to see him. And he would start singing a song to you. 
Not the other way around. That's amazing. You, you think about heaven. I can only imagine. What are the feeling would be when you get to the other side and all of the things of life are passed away and there's nothing left? And we've been up there for 100 million years and you really get to know your husband. You really get to know God. And then he comes and sees you and you're in a state of love that we've, we can't even express on this planet with words. That's why it's worth going there. That's why it's worth surrendering all here. There's nothing that can match what God is trying to offer to us here. The heart that he has for you. Amen. You think of the prodigal son. There was a, uh, the prodigal son was messed up everything in life. He had sold his inheritance. He had run away from home. He had lived riotously. He had all his friends, and they had all left him when he ran out of money. And he was at the bottom. And the good news was, when he got to the bottom, he started to look up. Yeah. Sometimes when we're at the bottom, we look everywhere else but up. Somewhere when we're at the bottom, we think that that's the end and we give up. Many people have done that. Just given up and that was the end. I was listening to Brother Ron Spencer, and I'll get back to the prodigal son in a second. Brother Ron Spencer, in his service, he spoke for us, this, the music is more important than the struggle. And he made a statement, he says, how we can get so bottlenecked and so uh, caught up in our own itty-bitty problems. And he says, how many of you have gotten to the end of weeks and the only thing you could think of was you. He said, and I, I, I laugh at this one, he said, there was a story of a sister that had struggled and was so caught up with constipation. He said it, so I'm quoting him. And all she could think of was that, and it consumed her, this, this, this bodily weakness that she had. And he said, when she began to focus on Jesus, everything just worked. And then he said, that brings a smile to your face, but there's a point. We can get so caught up in our own problem, in our own whatever it is that distracts our whole world. The only thing that you can see is this. But God has a heart for you. He wants to bring you through that. He wants to bring you up out of that. I don't know if I'm getting it out right, but... The prodigal son... I think this is the only place in scripture we know, and there was a song written about it, but when he started to come back to God, God ran to him. The father ran. It said when he saw him coming down the way, he didn't just wait for him to come. Oh, you finally figured it out. He ran to meet him. That's, that's, that's tonight. If there's someone that's running away, God's trying to run after you. He's trying to get you. He's waiting for you to run in circle after circle until you get to that spot where you say, I'm done. And he says, good. Now you're coming home with me. I want to talk about one other thing, and that's the Holy Ghost. I find that so often, young people, the biggest question you could have is, do I have it? Do I not? If I do have it, why am I still struggling here? And if I don't have it, how in the world do I not have it because I've tried so hard? Is that the really quickest summation of, <laughs> I've lived it. I know how, that, that's, those are the areas. And I'm not even going to try to break it down. I've, I've studied it out. I could probably lay out how or what or all. But I'll just say it this way. It's available right now. It's available tonight. God literally wants to give it to you more than you want it. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I'll remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I think there's more to that. But I want to read a quote. Brother Branham says, watch the order of the scripture. And I just say, open up your heart. If there's anything that you want from God, deliverance, freedom. If there's anything, God's here. He wants to meet your need. Watch the order of the scripture. I will take that old stony heart and I'll give you a new heart. Yeah. 
That's the first order. Some of them stop on that first order. Now, that's where you are. You're just getting started. Then he said, I'll give you a new spirit. Oh, that's where a lot of the Pentecostals fail. You got a new spirit. You felt good. We can feel good in church, but Monday to Saturday is the test. Okay, well, I just feel fine. Well, you just got started. You're just getting fixed up now to get it. You're just coming in line. He had... He had to give you a new spirit. Why? You couldn't get along with yourself with the old spirit. How could you get along with God's spirit? So he had to give you a new spirit. Now watch the Bible. I'll give you, take the old stony heart away and give you a heart of flesh, tender hearted, and then I'll give you a new spirit and I'll put my spirit in you. Now watch, his spirit was different from your new spirit. And many people get the new spirit and think they get the Holy Spirit. They get feeling happy and they jump around and maybe do a few things religiously. And they think they've got the Holy Spirit. Oh no, the Holy Spirit makes you act different. The Holy Spirit makes you think different. The Holy Spirit was put in the, right in the middle of your new spirit. And your new spirit was put right in the middle of your new heart. What a beautiful transformation. The new heart, the new spirit in the middle of the new heart. And God said, I'll put my spirit in you. There, later down it says... So many people try to put on a Christian face. This is from the message, The Impersonation of Christianity, 1957. So many people try to put on a Christian face or a Christian front on Sunday, and on Monday you should see the kind of face they got. But now that's impersonation. There's nothing in the world in my book but hypocrites, he says. But this is the good news. If you find yourself in that spot, don't feel bad. Feel bad in a sense, but don't feel bad enough to stay there. There's a way out. God's heart is for you. The Holy Spirit in your life, in you, takes your life. Then the yoke becomes easy, he said. Oh, someone says, Brother Branham, if I could only live that life. Oh, you don't have to worry about it, brother. It's not you anyhow. It's the Holy Spirit in you. Paul said, isn't the life that I now live, not me, but Christ lives in me. You can stop at the new heart or you can go all the way. The reason that you have your ups and downs is when the unclean spirit goes out, that's just as far as you got. You get a new heart or something, Brother Branham says. Why some people can't keep the victory. You got a face to show, you got something, some put on or a little something outside, and when he comes back, he finds, Satan finds you still living, I think it's Satan, he finds you still living in the old tin can alley with all your temper and your indifference and everything, but when the Holy Ghost moves in there, God sends his big bulldozer down from heaven, he turns that thing upside down. What does it take? Just an open heart to him. Nothing more complicated than that. What, what, what was the scriptural formula? Repent and be baptized. If you've been baptized and you haven't got it, say, God, what have I not repented for? What's wrong in my heart? Is there something that you need to put your finger on? Yeah. I was listening to Brother Dwayne Lawson's testimony. If you ever see it online, it's, it was amazing. I hadn't seen it before. And he said that he had been struggling with needing the Holy Ghost. And the brother came up to the altar and, and, and said, well, okay. He said, let's perform a marriage ceremony. And Brother Dwayne said, what? I think something. He said, well, you're marrying your husband, Jesus, and the bride. So it's simple. We know what his answer is going to be, but we'll just walk through it. Do you take this man? And he began to walk him through it. And he says, we know what his answer is be, so it really comes back down to you. Will you marry him? How simple is that? Relax. Accept him. That's all it is. He wants to give it to you. Your heart just has to be in the right place. Many times we get to this point and, and we say, well, what if I fail? Or I, I don't feel like surrendering. Or I don't feel like I can do it tonight. Or I've seen, I've seen other people go there and they didn't make it out. Or, or, or they've fallen. 
I know I'm going to just fall again tonight. I'm just going to start speaking to thoughts that will happen at this point. I know because I've been there. I've sat in the seat. I'm going to fail tonight again. I know. So what's the point of even all of this? This is great. But what's the point? I had a friend that didn't get delivered. I've gone way too far. I'll remind you of the prodigal son. God wants to come running after you. He wants to keep you. He wants to not just save you and fill you, but he wants to keep you till eternity, sealed until the day of your redemption. Will you have your ups and downs? Brother Max will deal with that, I think, coming up. Sure, we'll have our ups and downs. There was a question that I'll just leave. I could get carried away over there. We'll have our ups and downs. But God will keep you from the inside. Brother Branham says in the message, thirst, by your desire, you'll know who's on the throne of your heart. We can have a lot of things going around on the outside, but the throne of your heart, when that desire is always to Jesus, no matter what I've just done, no matter where I've been, no matter sometimes the the ways you fail, but there's a desire there. You know you're on the right track. You know that there's something right. Satan will tell you you never surrender, that you outsend your opportunity. He'll tell you you've already gone too far. What's the point? There's no more grace. You might not honestly believe any of this anymore. That's a strong statement, but it could be true. You might not actually want to show up here anymore. You might not believe any of it. But God still cares about you. God still wants you. God still wants to do something for you. He's still got a plan for you. You're here tonight anyway. There's something that's real that pulls on your heart whether you might recognize it now or not, and he will come get you. He'll let you run around that barnyard like the story of a cow or something that got out and the cowboy just lets him run and run and run until finally he's tired, ropes him, pulls him in. I was just waiting for you to stop running. Brother Branham says in the greatest battle ever fought, and I'll invite the musicians to come. God will heal you right in this atmosphere of the Holy Ghost where he sent you. God will give it to you. He says, just believe it. And I'll say, God will fill you. God will seal you. God will deliver you. Just believe it. Open up the flues of the soul, the body, the senses, and conscience, and just let God's words penetrate first. Take that mind. There's the battleground. Not say, well, if I could feel it, then if I'd feel the glory of God, I'd know I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Brother Branham says, one of the mysteries of today was receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost without sensation. But you'll know because there'll be a different life, is my addition to that. But you might not feel anything But if you take him at his word and you just believe it, God's obligated to fulfill his word. You're holding him to it. Open up the mind. There's the battleground. That's where the battle sets an array, right here in the front line, your mind. Open it up and say, every doubt, I doubt my doubts. I'm doubting my doubts right now. I'm believing God's word. Here I come, Satan. We got to have a little bit of fight sometimes. All too often, I can roll over and be, you know, almost, God help me, God help me. What about when we fight the devil, when we torment devils, like we heard on Sunday? When we push back, when we say, I love Brother Max was texting me when I was preparing for this. He says, hey, are the gallows built to, are the gallows all ready to go? <laughs> That's how the attitude we should have. Is Satan going to die tonight? Yes. Yeah. Satan's going down tonight. Maybe he needs reminding. He's under your feet. He's under my feet. There's nothing that Satan can do against us. Brother Brandon says, it's you and God together, nobody else but you too. There's, there you are. There's your battle. Kill him at the beginning. 
Stop them dead in his tracks. It ain't how long you can make the war linger. There's a principle there. Stop it right now. If you'll come and keep them memories and conscious and everything thinking about, well, I might fail. It might not be right. Don't do that at all. So you throw everything aside and open up the channel and say, God, your word is eternally true. And it's for me. If the whole church fails, if the whole world fails, yet I can't fail because I'm taking you at your word. There's the battle. There's the thing, and I'll read one more scripture, or one more, one more quote, and I, I, maybe if we could just sing that song again, listen to our hearts. Actually, let me change it. This is my desire, key of F. This is my desire. Let's all stand. Brother Branham says this in Kinsman Redeemer. He said, only one law is laid down, that is, if thou canst, believe. No matter what you've got in front of you, no matter what you need from God, if thou canst believe. That's the agreement. And then Brother Branham says this, and it's a prayer. Satan claims that we will not believe, and God says that we will believe. Now the battle is on, and the decision is ours to make. Whichever way our decision is made, that's the way it will be. And so wonderfully written, all things are possible to them that believe. God's heart is towards you. He wants to give you what he wants you to have. He wants to fulfill his word in your life. And he wants to do it in a beautiful way. Amen. Let's give that last acre of our heart to him. Whatever would be holding you back, let's just give it to him. Let's bow for a second. Lord Jesus, we just come and we, we just want to surrender our lives to you. Oh God, our hearts to you. Lord, we just thank you for how you've moved now. And Lord, I just pray that you could go by every pew, every aisle, every seat, Lord God. Lord, where there's a, a spot in our lives that we need to surrender, where there's big areas we need to surrender, where there's things that are wrong, you make it right, Lord. Where others have treated us wrong, Lord, Father, forgive them. And Lord, help us to press on. Lord, help us to have the right heart towards you and to each other, Lord. Lord, we know that how we treat each other is how we're treating you. Lord, we want to surrender our hearts to you and give every part of our being into your control, oh God. Thank you for all that you've done. And I want to say thank you for the victory that you show us. Thank you for the deliverance you show us, for the power you've put in us to overcome, oh God, that we can overcome, that we can live this life and that we can live above sin, above temptations and above all of those things and that healing is here, and that victory is here. We thank you for all that you've done, and Lord, we just com I commit this group into your hands, Lord. I commit all that was said into your hands, and I pray that you'd have whatever you'd want to have with the service. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, this is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all my heart, and Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. And with all I have within me, I give you praise.
hearts, oh Lord. Oh Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. And every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. my desire. This is my desire to honor, to honor you and Lord with all my heart. I worship Within me, I give you praise and all that I adore is in you, it's in you, so Lord, and Lord, I give you my heart. My soul, I live for you alone. And every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, have your way in me. I want to say one more thing, and we'll invite Brother Andrew to come. But I've talked to a couple of different people and that were in hard times not long ago and been in them myself. And what's the easiest way out of a hard time? I'll say something funny, but maybe memorable. The easiest way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And I say that to say this, let God do a work. And it might not happen overnight. And it might be one step at a time for you, one bite at a time for you out of the devil one place that you, you surrender a little bit more and a little bit more, but as long as you're moving forward, as long as God's able to keep working and that heart is just getting softer and softer and softer and you're giving that other acre and that another piece of that acre and another piece of that acre, keep moving forward. You might look at a mountain that's so big to move in one night and it might not move in one night, but hey, one pebble flying off the mountain one brick flying out of Jericho's walls. The walls were coming down regardless. Keep marching around the wall. Just keep marching around the wall. Keep, keep doing what you need to do to walk forward. Just give God a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. That's the way out. Samson got to a place where he was so humbled that he was blind and led by the enemy's children. The beautiful part was right into the enemy's stronghold so he could tear it down. Let God do that for you, right into the enemy's stronghold in your life, and it will fall. Amen. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. 
And every breath that I take Every moment I'm awake Have your way in me And Lord, I give you my heart And I give you my soul And I live for you alone And every breath that I take Every moment I'm awake. Amen. There was a lot of really good words said tonight. I really enjoyed that. Just so happens to be, I, I actually worked for a lady today. She's in her 90s, and she came out of Germany running from the Russians. She had that same thing where Brother John was talking about. He met a lady that said, you know, there's two things you're going to be. It's either a victim, you're going to have a victim attitude, or you're going to have a survivor attitude. And I like what Brother John attitude, or an overcomer attitude. You can be one of three. It's not two, it's three. And you could do that tonight, too. You can have a victim attitude. You can say, I, I, I didn't ask for this. I'm just here. No, you're here for a reason. You can have a survivor attitude. I'm just making it. I'll make it into heaven by the skin of my teeth. Nobody's going to make it into heaven by the skin of their teeth. Or you can say, I'm going to have an overcomer attitude. How do I do that? It's simple. Brother John told that story. I thought it was phenomenal. He sent that to me earlier today, and it just touched my heart, too. The 99 acres. There's a couple morals to that story. Number one, you, you can't let him keep an acre on the edge. He doesn't do that. In other words, if there's 1% of your life that you're leaving out, 1% of your heart that you're saying, this is, this is for me, this is just, I'm not quite surrendering this, it's not way out there on the fringes. You got to walk over everything God's doing in your life to get to that acre and tear it all down. And number two is that he can't, you can live a 99% life and it's easy. That's why he said, I'll give you 99 acres for a steal of a deal. It'd be the best deal you ever had. That's the greatest trick of the devil. Thou shalt not surely die. It's a 1% lie. Where it's, it's so simple to come and just, I'm just in church. I'm just in a message church. I come to a, this. I, I've been to the altar. I've done that. Well, well, what about, have you given it all? Have you really given it? Search your own heart. I can't search your heart. I don't know where all of you are at. You've got to search your own heart and say, Lord, is it 100%? Because sometimes I'll guarantee you when you're walking easy and no, nothing's bothering you, but you're just kind of drifting. Maybe there's that 1% the devil's like, yeah, he's good. I don't got to bother him anymore because I own the one acre right in the middle. I don't need to sit there on the borders and camp around and put up big barbed wire fences and try and shoot him down when he's pulling the ground because I own the 1%. I got it right in there. So it seems like it's easy. But it's when you got 100%, then the devil starts setting up the fences. He starts really attacking. Why? Because he knows now he's got no right to get in there. 
So he's got to try and attack what you're doing. Right? It's cheap to have 99%. It's expensive to have the 100%. And I love the way it was presented. He could say, well, that, that one acre was from my great-granddad to my granddad. Oh, we love that, don't we? That one problem I got, that temper I got, my great-granddad had it, my granddad had it, my daddy had it, now I got it. That trouble I got with looking at internet things since my internet first came on, my daddy had that problem, now I got that problem. That's just a lie of the devil. Trying to say, look, that, that acre belongs to me. That problem you got, it belongs to me. No, it doesn't. It all belongs to God. Thinking of a man, Brother Branham talks about, I believe he calls him Sambo. He's down there, he's a slave. Down in the south, he's a slave. But one day he got a hold of Jesus. He had a lot of symptoms, and it wasn't just constipation, it was a whip. It was a working from dawn till dusk and beyond. Everything he had to do, it wasn't here's, here's your paycheck at the end of the day. It was here's barely enough food to, to eat, to survive. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake you up with the crack of the whip. And you're going to get back out there. And you're going to hold the fields. And you're going to pick this. And you're going to do that. He was a slave. But he come and he started telling what for a slave was a byword. He started saying, I'm free. Yeah. Oh, it got some questions raised. What are you talking about? You're free. Said, yeah, I'm free. I'm free. Said, but you're still in chains. Look. Buddy, you're still chained to me. We still got a chain going on. We talking about you're free. Yeah, I'm free. Jesus set me free. It doesn't matter the circumstances and how hard your life might be. You may say, well, you don't understand what's really going on. Brother Andrew, the week I had and this and that. But Christ is here. I love that, that he, oh, Jesus, he died of a broken heart because he came to his own and his own received him not. The same God now. Rejoices with singing and joy in his heart because his own has loved him. Hallelujah. What an awesome, loving, heavenly father. Don't you just love him back? That song Brother John wrote that just was circling around in my head as he was preaching. I don't want to be a halfway Christian. Stuck somewhere in between here and eternity. I don't want to be sitting here wondering, am I going to make it or am I all in the world? Or am I all? No, I got to be 100%. It's all or nothing. It's all of it or it's none of it. Amen. 99% is not considered. If any of you get older and you have, maybe have a credit card or some kind of a mortgage or something, you, you just go ahead and try and pay 99% of it. You just go pay 99% of it every time. Guess what? You're going to end up with interest upon interest upon interest on that 1%. You see, but I paid 99% of my bills. Surely that's good enough. No, that one, they're like, where's that 1%? The 1% that was $10, now you owe us $100 because we just added interest on it, interest on it, interest on it because you only went for 99%. See what he's talking about? The devil doesn't just take the 1%. He just keeps driving over the 99% over and over and over until you're, finally you're thinking, man, I, I thought I had an experience somewhere. I thought I met God. What happened? Did you go all the way? Hey, man, I'm not, I'm not going to blabber it any longer. Don't worry. I'm not going to make an altar call. 
I'll just close with this. Brother John ended with it. Kill the devil right away. Don't get into a mental battle of wits with the devil. Say, so, oh, but it was so, like, I had this wonderful string of scriptures in my mind where I thought I could tie up this thought that I had in my, where I could justify this and I could justify that. If you're going to get into a duel of scriptures with the devil, I lose every time. You got to kill him right away. With what? It's written. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone. Do I got to work that Sunday? Man shall not live by bread alone. Do I got to compromise over here? No, I don't have to. Because I've given it all to God. Say, well, this trial's just not going to work out good. This is going to be terrible. No, do you love the Lord? Do you love him, Ethan? Yeah. Then all things work together for good. To them that love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. I know that's the part the devil likes to put an asterisk on. <laughs> you really called? Yeah. Yeah, you are. Many are called. I like it. It doesn't say that, 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 that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, who are chosen. Because then he could say, well, many are called, but few are chosen. If God's ever tugged on your heart, knocked on your door once, you're called. It's that simple. So do you love him? Do you love him? Love him, Jonathan? Amen. Then all things work together for good. Amen. Amen. Why don't we just sing that song? I got so much to thank him for. So much to praise him for. When I look around and see all the good things, Brother John, if you keep your mic on, you can help me out because as we learned before the service, I can't sing. Thank you. Now I got to laugh. All right. Around and see the good things that he's done for me that I know that I'm unworthy of them all for his blessings that he freely gives I owe my whole life to him I've got much, much to thank him for God's been so good to me.